The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, Internet. Roto-World's Josh Norris here with the Roto-World Football Podcast. First, I want to thank you all for rating and reviewing, subscribing, all that good stuff that you do to help us reach a new audience, like I said. And I always say, and Ray always says, and Evan and all those dudes, it really does help us out. Um, And I don't want to waste any more time because today is a very special day. We have our first non-Roto-World guest since the beginning of the preseason um, he is the creator of Reception Perception. Um, he is one half of the Fantasy Hipsters. Uh, he's a writer for NFL.com. He's the host of the Backyard Banter podcast. He's the father to Charlie. And he is finally on the Brussels Sprouts bandwagon. This is Matt Bro, Harmon. This is Matt Harmon. What are you talking about finally <laughs> on the bandwagon? I am the, the king of Brussels Sprouts Twitter right now. I, okay, I, this Matt, is, this is three years too late. Like it, no, it, it was a thing, not... and you, and your kale now too, and that's three years too late as well. Like I understand, like these things go in waves and phases. So I guess you're ahead of the curve of the second curve of it. But okay, you're but you're you gotta, the first one. You got to put in context here, Josh. That you know, three years ago was when I started, you know, becoming a healthy individual. Right. Obviously, I was not going to be on Brussels sprouts and kale kick then. <laughs> like I'm just I'm and but by the way, it's not a thing until I say it's a thing, and now it's a okay. thing, and we're. On at least on at least on football Twitter, I'm thinking honestly. I know you know you like tossed around doing this sort of stuff. I think like because I've got so much traction on the Brussels sprouts thing right now. Yeah. I need to do like Facebook Live or Periscope of like me preparing the Brussels sprouts yeah. and also you know talking about football and stuff. I guess. Hey, I just did one of those like, uh, what was it Sunday night? Sunday night. Um, compound butter on steak, a sous vide ribeye, and and I taught people how to make salad dressing because I really look down on people who buy store bought salad dressing totally agree so yeah i mean we could go on and on about that matt but you're also just a <laughs> voice in, in the wide receiver territory as well um yes yes like, like i mentioned reception perception it's not on nfl.com this year matt where is it yeah so this is an exciting new partnership that i've uh joined up with the uh, fantasy footballers they they run a great fantasy podcast they also have a, a website too, the fantasy footballers.com and you can find all the content there. You can also actually just go to receptionperception.com if you want to really wow. get novel yeah. theory to, to claim that one, Matt. 
I didn't even do it. They, it was their idea. And they were like, hey, by the way, we've done this. It, it links all your content. I'm like, oh, all right, cool. That's really smart. But yeah, so it's it's an exciting new partnership. All the draft prospect stuff, which we're going to talk about today, is all going to be free on there. And then this summer, I'm releasing an unprecedented 50 NFL players full data in their wow. ultimate draft kit, which you can purchase uh, through links at, in all my articles or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's going to be a big, big, big thing. And I'm very I excited. I know that that last part was, was a thing. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I've been following Matt's work for a long time. Um, in fact, Matt, I went back a few weeks ago to look back at our first interactions on Twitter because, I mean, we were both nobodies like five years ago when we started communicating or three years ago or whatever it was. Three years ago for sure. Um, and I, I, I guarantee you I think our first interaction was something around the Steve Smith, Kelvin Benjamin, Cam Newton spectrum. Yeah. So in this episode, and it's 40 minutes, I've already wasted three and a half, but – I want to talk about 11 wide receivers specifically, but on top of those 11 wide receivers, whatever big points that we get out of this with wide receiver talk or evaluation or um, you know how their, their usage, anything like that, I think um, will absolutely work along the way. And we should start this conversation with kind of the, the, the key three receivers, pass catchers, who um, I, I'm guessing make up almost everyone's top three. And in some order, that's Corey Davis, Mike Williams of Clemson, and John Ross of Washington. Uh, I guess the place to start here, Matt, is they're all different types of wide receivers, so it's tough to compare them to each other. But I'll just let you have the floor here. Um, start wherever you want with those three, and if you want to compare, contrast, or stop in between, I'll let you have it. Sounds good. Well, first, let me tell all the listeners, uh, if you're not familiar or if you just need a refresher because you've been trying to ignore me uh, for a long time, and I, and I get that. <laughs> Uh, the what I what reception perception is my evaluation tool for wide receivers is I go in and over a six game sample for college prospects and an eight game sample for NFL players I chart every single route that they run uh, how often they run each individual route uh, what type of coverages they're most successful against uh, what routes they're most successful at getting open on and then there's other ancillary metrics like contested catch conversion rate and breaking mm-hmm. tackles after the catch um, so I just want to get that out of the way for any any new people if, if I reference these metrics that's that's how I'm collecting them. that's the fine print. Um, that is the fine print and it's you know I like to think that we should put the fine print up at top not the, down there at the bottom or you know they read won't it very read fast it either the, way so that's very true that's very very true <laughs> um so I, I one one just kind of overall thought about this class uh, compared to last year's class. I think this is a much better group than last year. And I don't know if that's like consensus opinion or anything like that. But yeah. pretty much as I'm you know, putting together kind of data from last year's class to this year, they're pretty much better in terms of their reception perception metrics across the board. Like the 2017 average is, is at least a few ticks higher normally than the 2016 prospect average. So I think it's a really good group. And it starts up top, obviously, you mentioned with Mike Williams and Corey Davis, I think, will be most people's one and two. And, you know, I think that we can probably both agree that they're they're both very good players. I think they're both good prospects. I think it's more just which one do you prefer type wise? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both incredibly different. Uh, Mike Williams to me is actually interesting because and there's no way for me to sound to say what I'm about to say without sounding like an elitist. So I'm going to apologize for saying that right off the bat um, that I think when you watch Mike Williams game on a site like draft breakdown or you know just watch his broadcast view without the all 22 which you know i'm very lucky to have and be able to chart all this stuff you you don't really get a full glimpse of of how good he is because i think one problem uh this is a general general philosophical question about or proposition about wide receivers is i think 
when you see a guy make and win a lot of contested catches, mm-hmm. there's then the logical step that, oh, well, he must not get a lot of separation because he has to make all those contested catches. And I, and I don't think that's necessarily true. I don't think one means the other, but I think people naturally assume that. And Mike Williams is great at winning contested catches. He has over an 80% conversion rate in reception perception, but he's also above the class or above the total prospect average over the last two years in separation and success rate on against man coverage, zone coverage and press coverage. So I think he separates good enough. I mean, it's not as high as Corey Davis. Mike, right. Mike Williams' score against man coverage is 69.7% where Corey Davis is wildly high. One of, I think it's one of the top five I have in the database right now. It's 79.6%. That's going back the last two years. So Davis is obviously the, the guy that is a great separator. He wins at all levels of the field. But I think Williams, you know, for the most part, I think he wins in the shallow game in separation and yeah. wins also in the deep game. He has an, an at least average or above average score on curl routes, nine routes, and post routes. So he can separate in those areas. Now, in the intermediate routes, I actually put his chart out the other day, and that's where he doesn't get as much separation. But okay. he's so great in those contested catches, I don't think it really matters. Yeah, and, and a lot of people believe that vertical receivers are solely speed receivers. Uh, or I, I, I think that people perceive speed to equal vertical, and I don't think that's the case at all necessarily. Um, it's, it's going up and getting those contested catches, and I think that Mike Williams does that very well and even mentioned, obviously, creating separation in those areas. And, and I think his inside-breaking routes, he does that well. Evan and I had a discussion about this a few weeks ago, and, and Matt, he doesn't get to sit in, in the big castle on the hill and look down at the peasants like you in terms of purchase <laughs> copy. Uh, but, but, um, Hey, I said, I said up front that there was no way for me to say that without sounding like an elitist, but I think it's an important thing to remember just that, you know, when you're watching a, a cut up of a player right. that you're going to miss some things. And I think that, you know, listen, we're all combating brain science when we're watching film. I think we all, we should all a, a, a be upfront and admit that there's a lot of things that our brain's going to trick us into thinking just because we saw something. And I think the primary one that I come away with is or at least not the primary one, but one of them is that when you have a guy that wins a lot of contested catch like Mike Williams, I think you then naturally assume that he doesn't get separation, but you can't see that all the time. And, you know, it, there's also the quality of the quarterback that's throwing those balls and, you know, where he's getting targets on the field. And I just think it's something to remember. So, like I and, said, I knew I was going to sound like an elitist. And, and we know that Corey Davis is exceptional creating separation, sustaining it and winning after the catch. Like that's absolutely his game, right? Um, yes. And even in that 6-3 or 6-2 frame, whatever he's going to test out in or, or measure out in, um, it's, it's kind of uncommon for, for someone to have those type of skill sets. Um, can I throw in John Ross's name as well, Matt? Because, um, I mean, I, I might end up ranking John Ross over Mike Williams. And, again, ranking, and I would like to get your thoughts on this. Like, how do you even, because these receivers, all three of them, play the position so differently? Like, I understand rankings because in your head you'll have to pick one eventually. Um, mm-hmm. Or one or the other, or, or that type of stuff. But um, it's it's not impossible to rank them. But it's 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 kind of a game, and just the types that you prefer in terms of finally coming up with a ranking at the end. Because again, they do. Are they all, all wide receivers? But they play the position very very differently. Right, and I think my thoughts, if if people are familiar with me, I think my thoughts on both fantasy rankings and prospect rankings, and why I think they're both pretty fruitless and and don't really mean anything. Uh, are, is pretty well documented. Uh, so I think that that's something that if you follow me, you know that I don't really care about rankings as much as I do just about understanding who these players are. And and I think that you're right. John Ross is absolutely up there in the conversation with these two, the top two guys in terms of being a really good player. Uh, I think he he's another one that 
obviously you're going to watch him and see him win a lot of deep passes, but that's far from all he is. I mean, he Mm -hmm. does have one of the highest success rates on, on vertical routes for me, but at the same time, he breaks a a ton of tackles after the catch, which is something that all three of those guys, and I would include Mike Williams in that group too, show up positively for me in in terms of run after the catch. Mm -hmm. Uh, But John Ross is really great at that. Obviously he's not, he's not Corey Davis's level, but he's definitely right up there as well. And he's also a, a player that, you know, he wins in the shallow game too. He gets separation off press coverage. It's not something that you see a ton of because in, you know, defenses in the pac 12 don't play a lot of press coverage, but he definitely has a high success rate versus press coverage, actually higher than Mike Williams and Corey Davis. And so I, I like Ross all around. The only question with him is obviously the, the injury history is massive. Is. But if he's able to stay healthy and and stay, you know, just develop properly, as you would think. Right. He's more of. He's more of an Odell Beckham type of player, not that caliber, but you know, Eric Alko is one of the first to point that out. That he's really much more like Beckham than he is like a, a Deshaun Jackson or something like that. And, and, and I should mention on this podcast because we, we haven't yet what that injury history is. Um, it's two meniscus injuries, it's an ACL tear in one knee, and microfracture surgery um, on a knee as well. Uh, so that's yeah, that's quite a lot. But I mean, it's a lot. Yeah, and this season was spectacular. I mean, the way he could come back from a microfracture surgery like that and, and play at this level. Um, I, I don't. You just mentioned your thoughts on rankings. Um, I don't know what they are in comparisons. Uh, but I've seen some comparisons to Corey Coleman to T. Y. Hilton for someone like John Ross. Um, I, I believe you did the same or similar work for Corey Coleman last year. Were there any similarities? Just thinking back in your head between the two. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's a fair comparison for sure. Um, I I think what you do see with John Ross, though, is that he, you know, the the obvious criticism, you know, and I don't think it's a fair criticism to put this on a prospect. But one of the question marks in in Corey Coleman's portfolio was that you saw him just pretty much run those three routes out of the Baylor system, which I I don't think it's a it should be a criticism to say this guy doesn't run the full route tree because I think you should scheme around what your players can do and you also shouldn't ding necessarily ding a player for what they were asked to do you should try to project their potential but I think you see Ross run a lot more wide variety of routes you know he runs a great comeback route he runs a a great out route you know those are things that I think he's already ahead of Corey Coleman in that in that sense of being able to do those things he's got a more refined technique I mean he's got a great release move off the line of scrimmage so Mm -hmm. I think he's already ahead of Coleman in those things. But in terms of a physical perspective, I think that that's a fair comparison. Um, I would slightly disagree, but you know my, my feelings on Corey Coleman. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. sure. Uh, and, and I even saw John Ross like get shoved to the ground in some situations. I think it was like from a dropping linebacker, but it, that's here or nor there, really. Um, so let, let me finish up with these three with this question, Matt. Um, say a team does not have a transcendent quarterback, and again, this is – a much bigger question, so I'm going to try to narrow it down. Do you think that any of these three can be a focal point of an NFL passing game? Uh, I believe that is in their capability for all for all three of them. Wow, um, that's high praise. Yeah, I think I think so. And I mean, look, I, I don't think that they are at Julio Jones or AJ Green level prospects, you know. But that's an awful high standard. I think that. I think they can all, if they hit their peaks, be number one receivers um, or at least, you know, maybe the low end of that spectrum. But but I think so. I think that they could be. Let's jump to uh, who I would quote as our guys this year. Um, 
for me, it's Taewon Taylor, who in the last podcast, if you listened to that with Evan Silva, I went on a rampage on how everyone ranks him like outside of the top 15 of wide receivers. Uh, he's top five for me. Um, and then Carlos Henderson from Louisiana Tech for you, Matt. And I, I have a few numbers for you. And again, you hate rankings, and this is probably why. But CBS Sports <laughs> has him as wide receiver 20. Lance Zerline has him as wide receiver 19. Tony Pauline has wide receiver 9 for Carlos Henderson. And ESPN has him as a wide receiver 13. Uh, you've gone on Twitter saying Carlos Henderson is kind of your guy this year. Um, why do you love him so much, and why are those people – I'm not going to say they're wrong, but why are they kind of sleeping on him, on him a little bit? So let me, ask, let me take your question and ask you a question. Okay. From what you've seen of Carlos Henderson, and I don't know how much that is – what do you think he's not good at? It's it's a great question. I um, I I would say that there are times where, and this isn't. Again, I'm I'm not a coach, and I say that every single time, so I can't give you like the technique aspects of it. But I think he does like refinement and comfort and kind of a smoothness to his game in some situations. Like it doesn't seem as fluid in terms of, and I'm going to try to put this into words. Um, when there are plays that you can see like a veteran receiver make like in and out of their breaks or some type of fluidity to them, I don't see him making that. Right now I see him as an otherworldly athlete who can win big, who can win small, and who can win after the catch. And to me that's absolutely enough to bank on and hope that kind of more experience and things enters and, and allows the smoothness to enter his game, if that yeah. makes sense. I think those are fair points. I mean, you know, re- refinement and lack thereof are always going to be a thing, especially when you're playing at, you know, a lower level of, of competition. And that's there a at nitpick Tech. because you asked that for is, it. Yeah. That's a nitpick. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, for sure. And so here's here's my my notes on Carlos Henderson. You know, obviously I, I did reception perception on 21 prospects last year. I'm going to probably approach that number this year. Um, I'm not at 20 yet, but I will hope to hit that. So Going over the last two years of all the prospects I've charted, he has the highest success rate against press coverage, which, again, he's not facing a lot there at Louisiana Tech, but 92.6% success rate against press coverage. He has the highest success rate versus zone coverage that I have at 90.5%. He beat Sterling Shepard's score from last year. Um, He has the third highest success rate versus man coverage among the receivers charted this year. He has an above-average contested catch conversion rate, and you mentioned after the catch, he he broke – multiple tackles and on on what I would call an in-space attempt, you know, an opportunity to break tackles after the catch. He broke two multiple tackles on 39.1%, which is way, way higher than anything I have before, uh, before him. So I don't have any, I don't have any qualms with his film. Um, I think like you mentioned, great athlete. It's, he's going to smash the combine. That's what I've heard people say that I think just watching him, you would expect that. I think, you know, I know our, our, our buddy Matt Miller mentioned on Twitter, like he sees him as a second round prospect. I, I absolutely agree. And I think he could certainly end up hitting there. I mean, yeah, for me, he's a he's 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 much like Malcolm Mitchell was this time last year. Yeah. Um, he's a guy that I clearly see as a top 10 receiver in the class. I don't know if he's going to end up there, but that's where I see him. Yeah, I have him as wide receiver five. So I'm right there with you. Um, and, and I mean, there's an explosive element to his game. There's there's an extra element to his game that we don't see out of a lot of these receiver prospects where like he has a chance to create big plays. And I, I say it all the time that like football comes down to like blocking with the front five, pass rushing with the front four, um, winning the turnover battle and then creating big plays. And yep. I mean, if if he can do that again, and, and you mentioned it separating, 
winning those contested catches. I, I posted some clips on, on Twitter recently. I know you have as well with Carlos Henderson. And then that Western Kentucky game with some of those run-after oh. catch attempts, it's unbelievable yeah. what he's doing in those areas. Like his vision is just – it's superb. Um, you, you, you mentioned it's like good Cordero top. Patterson in that area. Yeah, yeah, I, that's a that's a good, that's a good way of saying it. Cordero Patterson, not who, not to rub a wound me. there, Matt. No, but you know he also has me <laughs> blocked on Twitter. Did you see no. when I posted that? How how terrible! I was like, that's so unfair. I I have taken so much abuse on, on your. <laughs> we should come and together as a community and and write that wrong. Uh, it's that's okay. Uh, I'm okay. <laughs> you live. It. It's actually I think it's a rather funny like yeah. footnote in the whole like funny it, it story. It's the whole story and the loop and the circle of the whole thing. Yeah, it just it kind of underscores this weird thing that we're doing here. But uh, you, you mentioned like the top three guys. Do I see any of them as as number one receivers? And and I think that like I said, potentially yes, they all could be. But Carlos Henderson's the only one that I felt like you know, and this is just feeling or whatever. But as I was watching him, I feel like he's the only player in this draft class that I saw like just a- absolutely like dominate the opponent. Yeah. more than anyone else and I mean Corey Davis consistently wins whatever but you know Mike Williams obviously wins at the catch point very well dominates in that fashion but from like as a well-rounded thing Henderson's the one that I saw just take over the competition more than anybody else and it might be a, a small thing but in terms of roster construction uh, both he and John Ross were kick returners as well which is yes. part of the roster you didn't mention anything about my boy Taewon you got anything for well me? well yeah I mean let's let's get in into it now um I like I like Taewon Taylor a lot. Um, I, I think that I agree with you. It's strange that he's not in more top ten lists. Like, and we'll talk about guys that I think maybe shouldn't be in those sort of in that sort of top ten range. But I mean, Taewon Taylor definitely explosive. He uh, has and let me pull it up right now. His contested catch conversion rate is seventy six point nine percent, which is really good. He's five uh, eleven. Yeah, I, I think. Well, I think we should know by now that size is not the end-all, be-all trait for winning right. contested catches. Exactly, but but in comparison, I did this in the last podcast, in comparison to like six foot two, six foot three guys, I would much rather rely on Taewon, and even his his willingness to try in that area is something you don't see a lot of times from sub-six-footers. Oh, yeah, I agree. And just, in you know, in general, I think that, I think just confidence in yourself is super important in those sort of situations. And he certainly has that. He's an aggressive player. You know, he wins again in the short game. He wins in the deep game. Uh, He, he and Henderson, like I said, have the exact same contested catch conversion rate. Um, Taewon Taylor, the only negative I could say is he did come in uh, under the two year prospect average in beating zone coverage. And I think that's just a developmental thing. I think that, you know, he can learn to feel through zones better, uh, but he's definitely got a great, great score against man coverage and press coverage. And I, I have a lot of confidence in him as well. Maybe not to the to the level that you or, or a few other people's people do, but I c- right. certainly think he should be in, in top 10 list. And once again, 5'11 with like 32 plus inch arms kind of compensates for the lack of height. Um, and also oh, yeah. his jumps are going to be outstanding at the combine. So we mentioned and, – and again, my big thing, and, and I believe you mentioned as well with Taewon, is that he can play inside and he can play outside. This kind of leads me into the next comment about two wide receivers who, in the past I've said it, um, are solely slot guys but are being talked about as top five options, possibly into the first round options, um, and that's Cooper Cup and Zay Jones. Um, let me just get your thoughts first on Cooper Cup. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I really tried to to get it with Cooper Cup. 
I, I really <laughs> like that's that's a weird thing that already kind of tells you where I'm going to go with like this. But I butter? really like you tried and it no, just no, wasn't no, no, for no, you. No, 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 no. I'm not going to give peanut butter a chance. That's just bad. But anyways, we'll save that for the for the food takes podcast. Um, but Cooper Cup, you know, he, again, you mentioned it. It's he's strictly a big slot receiver to me. Um, he Who wins lined after up, the catch, right? And very fair. He wins. He wins after the catch. He does break. Uh, he broke. He broke at least one, or he broke one tackle um, at an above average rate on his in space attempts. Fifty four point two percent for me. Um, but you know, only two, only two or more broken tackles on four point one percent of those attempts. Yeah. So you know, he's not a dynamic player after the catch. He's just very solid after the catch. Um, he has an above average contested catch conversion rate. So he definitely wins in traffic, but. The thing is, like, he's already plays from the slot more in my database than any other player besides Ryan Switzer from UNC. Uh, and he has a 59.1% success rate versus man coverage. That's one of the worst scores in, in the group for me. He has an average success rate versus zone coverage and a below average success rate versus press coverage. And that's already from him mostly playing from the slot. And that's against really, you know, below average quality teams. I mean, Doesn't you know, I tweeted that. Yeah, I mean, he's getting dog walked sometimes on the outside by cornerbacks from like Youngstown State or, you know, whatever these like Portland State, these, you know, crazy small teams. And Lynchburg, I just, yeah, I mean, Lynchburg College, for (laughs) God's sake, we don't have a football team. Um, But I don't know, man. I just, I don't think he can win outside. And I don't know how you draft an older prospect that is, I don't think he's a great athlete or anything. I just don't like, to me, you would be lucky to get out of him what like you get from Jordan Matthews out of the, the, right. from the Eagles. I think those are the exact sort of – and we've already seen when teams try to run offenses through slot receivers, it doesn't work. I mean you have a poor offense unless you're, unless you're Russell Wilson and Doug Baldwin. Most examples over the last few years, you need another threat besides that. So I don't know how you take Cooper Cup in the first round. Right. Um, to me, he's uh, late third at – you know, maybe day three guy at best. I don't, I don't, I tried to get it. I don't get it. And, and so we just mentioned five wide receivers before this, right? Corey Davis, Mike Williams, John Ross, Taewon Taylor, Carlos Henderson, who can all play outside, right? So in my opinion, how can you rank someone who is strictly a slot guy who thrived in manufactured space, right? And then had straight line speed to take advantage of that after the catch, if he did break a tackle, whatever, and, or rank them above any of those. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and again, it, it doesn't make sense. But I, I do think, Matt, back to the height thing, people believe he can play on the outside because he is 6'2", 200 pounds. And it's it's really not the case. It, I mean, we'll see. It might be. But from what we've seen, it, it, it doesn't seem to be that way. And what about Zay Jones, um, who I believe this week Mel Kuyper ranked or, or projected in the first round. I mean, it's February 15th or 16th or whatever, and that happened and. And to me, Matt, this is another guy who's kind of a, a manufactured touch player in a lot of ways from the slot. But one, are there just your overall thoughts on his game? And two, if we are comparing him to an, other slot types, what about his comparison with Cooper Cup? I like Zay Jones enough. I mean, I don't. I think having him as a first round prospect is a, a little much. Um, I don't. I don't think that. Uh, I don't think he's. But I didn't see him at the Senior Bowl. Obviously, I wasn't. I wasn't there. Um, I heard he had a good senior bowl, whatever. But just in how he breaks down in reception perception, his success rate versus man coverage is right at the two-year average. His success rate versus zone coverage is very high at 81.9%. So he's already ahead of Cup 
in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's not a player that beats a lot of press coverage either. Uh, so I, I think he's more of an inside guy than outside guy. I, I, I would be, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he right away becomes a Cole Beasley type of player. Okay. Um, so are you taking that in the first round? Probably not, but uh, I, I don't know that I see him consistently winning on the outside in the NFL. I do think he could do it a little bit, maybe more than Cooper Cup. But like, I think I just I don't really have any strong opinions on Jones, which kind of just shows you where I'm where I'm at with him. Um, There's nothing uh, he's, dynamic he's, about him. Yeah, no, not a, not at all. I think he's just a solid player, gets open at a pretty good rate, like I mentioned, but. Definitely not somebody that you want to take it at the end of the first round. I don't, I don't see that. Um, and the other slot guy that I really do like is, and this is the crazy part to me, why are we talking about Cooper Cup and Zay Jones as you know potential round one prospects, but I never see Ryan Switzer mentioned as like a, I don't know where he's valued among people, but he's a great slot receiver to me. Uh, he has a 71.1% success rate versus man coverage. That's obviously above average, right? Uh, just about a similar score as Zay Jones as well. Um, but he also, he, to me, he just consistently is going to be, I mean, he, he, I don't want to group him in as like every, you know, white slot receiver right, right. goes, goes on day three and becomes an, becomes an immediate, but it's strange to me that, you know, just again, this is super comparing the obvious, but like Daniel Braverman, people were all over that guy last year, didn't get invited to the combine. I don't see anybody talking about Ryan Switzer in the same way, but I mean, his film's great. I, yeah. I think he's uh, why, why would you take one of those guys, even if they're a little probably because I just, I guess because they're bigger than him, but to me, he could do everything that, that you'd like them if, to do. If they're going to fill the same role, you'd much rather have the day three player with that value than like in the first round, which you've seen or top four or five rankings of the position with those other dudes. Um, and right. I'll even throw out like Trent Taylor, who is Carlos Henderson's teammate at Louisiana Tech. I don't know if you've done him yet, but um, no, I'm not. He's five eight, one seventy seven. So obviously that's not very good. But I mean, he 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 has a feel for working in trash and in that area of the slot. Um, and I mean, I, I think this class is like littered with slot receivers. Um, Fred Ross from Mississippi State, Austin Carr from Northwestern. We can go on and on and on. I think just a lot of these guys fit in that area of the field. Um, Matt, last week, like, Chad Hansen from Cal, out of nowhere, like, everyone started talking about him, right? I know my boy Dane Brugler, or not my boy, like, buddy, acquaintance, hyped him as a top five prospect at the position. Here's someone who did play on the outside and is a taller receiver who is 22 years old, who can win after the catch as well. I mean, he's like 4'3 speed, and you see it on occasion. Um, what have you seen from Chad Hansen? How has he gone through reception perception? Yeah. So, you know, I know you and I have been tracking these guys a lot, you know, the last few years, it just strictly stay on the one side of the field, right. um, mostly at, at right wide receiver. So these and are the K-1 guys I was have... like that too. If, if I can just throw that in there, because I feel like oh, yeah. full disclosure, I should, I should throw that in there. Absolutely. So I'll just tell you the guys in my database right now that I have at eight, over 80% of their snaps, uh, were at right wide receiver are Juju Smith, DD Westbrook, um, Taewon Taylor and, uh, and, Chad Hansen, who we're discussing, who had the highest rate at 97.5% of his snaps at right wide receiver. And, yeah. and that's, you know, that's it. Um, so, and I think there's a big, you know, I was reading a post that I think Bucky Brooks had where he was talking to a few executives or whatever. So I could, couldn't remember exactly what it was, but they were discussing that that sort of s- slows down the wide receiver's development because they're just winning on one side of the field. It's a lot different than when in, you know, normal traditional NFL offenses, you're not playing on one side of the field at a higher rate than 60% of your regular snaps. So it's a big adjustment to me. I, I like. Can I, can I throw out my opinion on that real quick? Sure. Because um, this is something that we debated hotly with Kevin White coming out, 
or maybe we didn't realize how big of a factor it was until Kevin White came out, something like that. But to me, it allows someone to focus on their releases, focus on their footwork, focus on the routes just from that singular side. So it allows them to be try to master, be proficient in that area of the field. But again, I mean, like you just said, it's it's just one side. And if you want any type of semblance of an NFL offense, most likely you'll be moved around quite a bit more. So again, they might be great in that one area, but again, it's just one area and we don't have the full spectrum of that in many cases because of it. Yeah, I mean, I agree I agree completely with your thoughts there. It's just a, a muscle memory perspective. It's, exactly. a, it's a lot different to masters doing the same thing over and over again from one side rather than it is from multiple positions, which you pretty much have to do at the NFL level. Um, Hanson, I think, is an okay future role player to me. Uh, he's got a high success rate for zone coverage right around just a little bit above the league average against press, but under the league – or not league average, prospect average for beating man coverage. Uh, and his contested catch conversion rate's not good. It's 25% for and, me. But, but what's um, crazy, Matt, is we see these highlights, and I even posted a few of them, of him like going up and having this humong- humongous catch radius. Yes. But then when you keep watching, like it, he, he doesn't do and convert those same plays over and over again. Those, those isolated plays are great, and his highlights are going to be great because of it. Yep. But there are far too many plays where it's not converted like that. Also, to me, there's a difference between having a great catch radius and being great at winning contested catches okay. uh, because that's one part. You know, one part of it is having a good catch radius, but you also have to deal with defenders in close proximity to you and likely trying to, you know, body or body you and post you up and all that. Or you have to post them up. Um, and I don't think he deals with that contact well. And again, 25 percent is really bad. That's that's worse than the prospect that I had at Lois last year, which was um, uh, the Mississippi State receiver. What's his name that, that went undrafted, ran the 4-9? I can't the remember. The Jogger Wilson? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> so that was – his was at 27%. That was the lowest I had last year, and Hanson bested that for the worst I have over the last two years. Um, so. Chris Godwin, you went on Twitter a few uh, weeks ago probably, typing oh. him up. And I, I went and watched him. Um, he's interesting to me, Matt, because I would say he is most comfortable on outside breaking routes. And shout out to Nate Burleson, uh, some toe drag swag action along the sideline. Um, like how his, his, his comfort level in those areas is, is really phenomenal. Um, so if you pair him with a guy like Ryan Tannehill or something who loves to throw those outside breaking routes or at least did at Texas A&M, there's, there's an interesting pair there. Now, I do have questions about kind of the well-roundedness of his game. Um, mm-hmm. What about you? Yeah, I like Chris Godwin an awful lot. And I'll just say that the the best game I charted all year was easily his game in the Rose Bowl against USC. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mentioned that we're all fighting back brain science as we're trying to study players on tape. And, you know, that was the first game I saw of him. And, you know, even talking to my my coworker Daniel Jeremiah, like he doesn't think that he came close to that performance in any other game. I would disagree with DJ on that, but also it's awfully hard to get the memory of that game out of your mind. Right. Uh, that was a dominating effort. Uh, like I said, best game I, I charted all year by any receiver. Uh, but Chris Godwin has an above average success rate versus coverage score on every route on the route tree except. Uh, what I would define as other routes, which just don't fit into any other category and nine routes uh, where he has a below average success rate versus cover score. He has uh, the best contested catch conversion rate over any prospect of the last two years. Previously was Josh. That. It was, yeah. yeah, it was Josh Doxson at 85%. Uh, Goodwin or Godwin beat him by 0.7% uh, this year. So 
I like, I mean, it's hard to find a lot of holes with, with Godwin who also has, you know, he's, I think he's really good off the line. Um, but there are definitely some lower games. I mean, again, it's hard to come back. It's hard, it's hard to reconcile with the fact that he has the best game I've charted all year, but he's not, you know, an elite score, but a very good score in a lot of metrics to me. So, um, I think there's a lot there. He's also young. He's, uh, he's, I think he's going to be 20 years old as a rookie. Um, Hmm. there's so many positive metrics for him in, in my database. I think he's, I think he's a day two player for sure. You take him and you hope to get the best out of him. But we mentioned alignment data with some of these guys. Um, every single snap that I have for him was at on the outside and on the line of scrimmage. You know, no, never lined up as the flanker receiver, but just a hundred percent of his snaps is you know was on the line of scrimmage and either at right receiver or left receiver. He moved from opposite sides of the field, but he never moved off the line of scrimmage. You know, lined up behind it or in the slot ever. I'm looking forward to seeing what his testing is. Um, I mean, I'm not going to say it's going to be a huge factor, but I'm, I'm interested in his testing because I wouldn't say at times he he plays fast. Um, I think he's super smooth in some areas, but I'm, again, looking forward to see what he does at the combine. And I didn't know he was that young, um, but I did know that Juju Smith-Schuster is like 19 years old. Um, what am I missing on Juju Smith-Schuster that everyone absolutely seems to love about him? Well, uh, unfortunately, I'd... I'd you can't probably tell have me. to ask the same, the same question. <laughs> uh, and I'd, I'd mentioned that Godwin was 20 years – he'll be 20 years old as a rookie. He'll be – I think he is 27 right now. His birthday is February 27th per there Google. Uh, so, But he's still a young prospect. But, yeah, Juju, you mentioned – I don't know, man. Um, There's nothing comfortable <sighs> about his game. And, and I, no. I feel like when I went back and watched his second to last year, so I guess his sophomore year, because he had great production that year and it was at a young age, so there's people who eat that up, right? Um, yes. A lot of that was manufactured, in my opinion. And, and so I, I worry about someone who can create on their own. And I think, he, I think he's a good athlete, right? But mm. there, there's, there's nothing like nuanced or, or comfortable or, um, or veteran about his game, if that makes sense. Yeah, so uh, he has a below average success rate versus man coverage, below average success rate versus zone coverage. He is above the prospect average against press coverage, and I think that's what's tricky about him is that I think he's good at getting off the line, or at least he's pretty good at it, but then his separation kind of tails off the farther he gets into his routes. Hmm. Um, He's not a vertical receiver. I don't think he's great at separating underneath. His contested catch conversion rate is under the prospect average as well, too. So I have a tough time with him as well. I think there's something to mine there, but I think there's a lot of guys that are that are better than him. I mean, I know it's hard to say about a player that you know comes from a big school, has a pretty good pedigree, but guys like Godwin and Carlos Henderson and you know Isaiah Ford and all these other players, I just like them a lot better than him. Let, let's I, get into I Isaiah Ford that. because I, I think I'm missing out on him as well. I, I see him as like a a one speed player who is like, and again, this isn't a very analytical term, but he, it just seems like fine in a lot of areas. Yeah. So, so, so prove me wrong if, if I am wrong. Well, his, he has the highest success rate versus man coverage in this class. He's just second to Sterling Shepard in over the last two years at 80% success rate. And that's what's, I mean, those guys are always going to show up well to me because I'm, I'm charting every single route. I'm charting separation on those. 
Um, and he's got a great score against man and press coverage. And that's what I think is so great about him is I think he's already very, very refined. Um, I think he gets open well. He He's a very Stefan Diggs-like player to me. Okay. Um, the question is, is he the athlete that Stefan Diggs is? Cause Absolutely. Ford is lanky. He's thin. But he separates easily, man. And I think that there's a place for those players. Like okay. I, I feel really, really comfortable with where he ends up. Um, you know, I think you take him and uh, he, if especially if you run a certain type of offense that requires a lot of timing and in routes, I think you you get a, a a pretty good player out of Ford. Um, like I think Stefan Diggs could be a superstar. I don't know. I don't know if I see that from Ford, but I think they're along the same line of player. Um, I have a few names on this list, and I don't know if you've hit on them, but I just want to throw them out for people. Um, Ardarius Stewart, is that his name? Gosh, I even just blanked on his name. Josh Reynolds, Curtis Samuel, Jalen Robernet, Katie Cannon. Um, any of those names ring a bell? I have not gotten to any of those guys. And I'll okay. just mention about like Curtis Samuel and you yeah, know yeah, Artavis yeah. Scott kind of the same way. I don't think I'm going to really dig into those players because – Let's just be honest. I'm I'm crunched for time, <laughs> and uh, I got like I said, I got to chart 50 NFL receivers. That's an awful lot. Yep. Um, and I think those guys are just different projections than these other players. Like I think like Braxton Miller was a great example last year that his reception perception metrics just really didn't make an awful lot of sense. Um, and I think that Samuel might come out the same way. Like those are just different prospects to me. When is the Backyard Banner podcast starting back up? Uh, next week, hopefully Look February. At this. Yeah, so You're I like on your press first, tour right now. I know. I already have. I already have the first. Uh, I already have the first guest lined up. I'm pretty Do excited about it. Do we get an exclusive or no? Say what? Do we get an exclusive on who it is or no? Nah, man. You got to be surprised. It. And you know, it's I. I'm all about marketing uh, and and teasing things. But I'll just I'll just leave you with that. It's a good. It's going to be. I think a really good story. Uh, any changes in store for season two, or is it just much of the same, which was good? Uh, I'm trying to get some sponsors, so that's a change. I'd like. I'd like to make a little money off of this. So, all right, all right. Um, so, and- if, you're, if you're listening and want to sponsor the Backyard Banter podcast, uh, hit hit me up. I'm glad to talk about that. Also, I will say, no, not a change to the Backyard Banter podcast, but I can announce there will be a second podcast added to the network, and that is going to be with my coworker, the other half of the Fantasy Hipsters, uh, Matt Franciscovich, and I will be doing. We'll be branching out and doing our own uh, Fantasy Hipsters podcast. Nice. We'll kind of go through this. You know, we'll be on Backyard Banter or whatever. Uh, but yeah, so that should be pretty exciting. That already does have a sponsor, so uh, pretty you. excited. We have zero episodes but one sponsor, so I'm excited about that. Hey, that that's a lot better than a lot of people. Uh, Matt, <laughs> this was awesome, man. Once again, you can check out. Uh, Matt on Twitter, Matt Harmon underscore BYB. I believe that's correct. Um, he mentioned fancy hipsters. He's on Instagram with pictures of his dog and his mini garden on his deck, um, mm-hmm. balcony or whatever you want to call it. Um, reception perception, which you can find in one of the best places on the internet and obviously on Twitter. Um, and yeah, I mean, check out the backyard banner podcast and Matt really does awesome work. Um, he obviously created unique content and it's good content, and that's part of the reason, I think, why he's here. And so anyone who wants to do the same should, should follow that because I think Matt's one of the best at telling that story or living that story. So anyways, Matt, this is always awesome. It's kind of like an annual thing for us to do, and always great information I cannot find anywhere else. So I appreciate you joining me. Oh, thanks, Josh. Those were those were way too kind words to, to drop on me, but I, I appreciate it. And this was fun for me too. This was the first – 
uh, really the first time I've I've gotten to talk about these prospects yep. on a uh, on a podcast. So you were you were first. Uh, you should take should take a lot of pride in that. Uh, your listeners should take a lot of pride in that. But no, this was fun. <laughs> it was good to uh, it was good to get get these takes out there. And I'm I think this is a, a fun group to discuss. Yep. Uh, so I look forward to doing it more. And let's argue about it for another two months. Um, Matt, <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. And for everyone else out there, I should be back next week with Evan Silva. So we'll talk to you all soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.